Hello and welcome to the Cloud Tweaks podcast, where we look at developments and stories dealing with cloud, cybersecurity, the Internet of Things, AI, and other areas of business tech. I'm your host, Steve Prentice. Obviously, there's only one story dominating the world these days, and although people may grow tired of hearing the word coronavirus, its impact on every area of life in almost every country on Earth is unprecedented in living memory. So in this episode, we will talk briefly about coronavirus-related cyber scamming, and since so many people are facing the prospect of working from home, many for the first time, we'll be presenting our top 10 list of best practices for running meetings online. In just the same way that certain individuals have already made themselves infamous by buying up all the disinfectant wipes from the local Costco and selling them as profiteers online, so too have spammers and other cybercriminals wasted no time in taking full advantage of the fear and confusion to create and distribute phishing emails related to the outbreak. Some of these are disguised as links to information pages on the status of the outbreak from bodies like the World Health Organization. Others pretend to be from government agencies announcing immediate funds or tax rebates that can be delivered as soon as the readers enter their banking information onto a form. And still others, of course, purport to be from family members stuck in a foreign country unable to return and desperate for cash. For people facing health and financial emergencies and unprecedented levels of anguish and uncertainty, these types of emails provide that moment of candid hope that inevitably opens the doors wide to the delivery of malware, trojans and other serious issues. Profiteers and pirates thrive on this type of chaos. Added to this is the possibility that the IT and cybersecurity departments of any company right now will be hamstrung in their work due to pressures of social distancing, hastily called crisis management meetings, and the huge specter of sending everyone home to work from there. The potential for significant security lapses that comes from a homebound workforce is enormous, since training on adequate home-based cyber hygiene, if present at all in any organization, is likely far from complete. Therefore, millions of people will be sharing documents, using shadow IT apps, and accessing the company network through a likely unsecured home router. Coming on the heels of a holiday season in which IoT devices were hot sellers, and with the added likelihood of family members possibly sharing computers with each other, the pickings for bad actors are plentiful. There has been little public mention of this. Campaigns around hand-washing and staying at home are everywhere, but extremely little mention is being made of the dangers of computer infection. As any cybersecurity specialist will confirm, safety fatigue happens quickly. People who are already tired of changing passwords and using two-factor authentication will start to glaze over at the prospect of practicing cyber hygiene simultaneously with personal hygiene, even though the two run in parallel tracks and both have negative outcomes that are likely to extend many years into the future. As we discuss in the next segment, working from home has now been mandated as a priority for companies as large as Google and Facebook. If they have not already done so, it might be a good idea for IT teams to plaster cyber hygiene reminders on everything an employer is likely to touch, along with reminders to treat every email the same way they would now treat a person who looks and sounds sick. This episode of the Cloud Tweaks podcast is being brought to you by Cloudways, a managed hosting provider for small and medium-sized businesses worldwide. Their managed hosting platform, including for WordPress and WooCommerce, gives digital agencies and e-commerce businesses flexibility and choice in how websites are hosted. Their cutting-edge managed web hosting features include advanced caches coupled with Breeze, a simplified Cloudways cache and Cloudways CDN for fast performance and scalability. Backed by 24-7 support, you are guaranteed peace of mind and a seamless web hosting experience. 
For further information, check out episode one of our podcast series in which I chat with Akib Gadid, who is the co-founder of Cloudways. And for more information about his company, visit Cloudways, C-L-O-U-D-W-A-Y-S dot com. The sudden move towards working from home or completing school courses online is yet another shock to the global population. Although cloud-based group collaboration technologies like Slack, WebEx, and Microsoft Teams are making their mark in workplaces around the world, there remain barriers to entry of a sort, primarily around skill, mindset, and practical experience. And although it is our belief that everyone can use work-from-home technology, we in the CloudTweaks office have drawn up a top 10 list of do's and don'ts that should help make the transition to online meetings in the work-from-home scenario a lot easier. Number one, compatibility. There's a variety of remote access tools available out there. Many companies have already chosen and deployed brands across the enterprise, but more often than not, different departments have chosen their own based on one individual's familiarity with a product like Slack or Skype. It's vital that a team that is suddenly facing dispersal agrees on a technology to use and gets some sort of training on how to use it before everyone disappears. Some team apps might have already been installed in company-sanctioned notebook computers, but if workers are now facing the prospect of using their home-based PC to connect to the team for chat, video meetings, and document sharing, it helps to make sure the application works and does so without swallowing too much RAM, causing delays and freezes. The work-from-home app needs to be compatible with the computer, of course, but also compatible with the individual user who might no longer have access to an IT help desk to come and clear things up quickly. Be aware also of the versions within a brand. For example, Skype and Skype for Business are not the same things. And many applications offer free or freemium versions which might seem extremely convenient, but which might also leave out some critical functions. Slack, for example, is a great online chat environment, but its free version does not allow walls to be put up between different groups. So people you connect with on Slack might all be assigned their own appropriate channels, of course, but might also be all visible to each other in the general channel. It's vital to get guidance on these types of things before settling in to use the technology for business. Number two, practice. If you or your team members have not had much practice setting up and logging into a collaboration environment, then a practice session or two would be a good idea and a great team building exercise at the same time. These technologies are highly efficient tools, but if activities like chatting on channels, co-sharing documents, or joining a video meeting are new to you, at least new in the home environment, then nothing beats practical experience, even if it is narrated and hosted by way of a traditional conference call as you learn how to use the app itself. There's more to a video conference than there is with Skyping to grandma. People need to learn in advance whether they need to download plugins, which browser to use, how to log in in advance of the start of a meeting. They need to know how to appear on camera and how to use headphones or earbuds to cut down on echo and distortion. These and other topics I will cover in upcoming points on this list. But the bottom line is, like any other skill in the workplace, a practice session or two goes a long way to getting people comfortable with the technology to a point that they will actually use it, which is kind of the point. Number three. Being on video. Many people don't like the prospect of appearing on camera for a video meeting, but video meetings are proving to be far more effective than conference calls and memos quite simply because they convey body language and understanding far more effectively. Even nodding silently when another person is talking helps ensure the meeting moves ahead more smoothly. As compared to an office boardroom, a person working from home needs to be aware of the location in their home in which the video meeting is going to happen. It's best to choose a location with plenty of natural light or, failing that, plenty of room lighting. Make sure, however, that you do not sit with a light source directly behind you, as this will blind the camera and turn you into a silhouette. 
If you are using the built-in camera on the top edge of a laptop screen, try to position your laptop so that you are looking directly across horizontally to this camera and not down towards it as would happen if it was sitting on a desk or table. This might require placing your laptop on a raised platform like a box or some books to get it to eye level. Hey, there's finally a use for those phone books you have. And added to this is the fact that it's a really good idea to remember to actually look at the pinhole camera and not down at the faces of the other people that you see in the video conference on your screen. Although it makes sense to do this for a second or so to look down at the screen and see the faces, the same way you would maintain and break eye contact in a live person-to-person conversation, the key to establishing human contact in a video call is to look directly into the tiny camera lens most of the time, both while you are talking and equally importantly, when you are listening to others. This is how true human contact is reinforced. Number four, background noise and muting. One of the big challenges of telecommunication from home is background noise. Depending on your situation, you might have a whole bunch of noises around you like traffic, TVs, pets, and other appliances. It's a good idea to try and find a room where you can close the door, and it's especially good if that room has some soft furnishings like a bed or a sofa to help absorb the echo. Background noise can also be managed by using the mute button. This makes a big difference, especially when you have more than two people in the conference. But before your first meeting or during your test meeting, find out where that mute button is. The big problem with the mute button, though, is that people forget they are on mute when it's their turn to talk. That's why it's also a good practice to agree on a visual gesture that means, hey, you're on mute. I mean, yes, you could simply say that, but a gesture is equally effective and better accepted than is an interruption. I use the gesture of putting my hand to cover my mouth and then pointing twice at the camera so the person talking can see that I mean that they are currently muted. And while I'm on the topic of important visual signals, another useful one to practice is I can't hear you. Done by, in my case anyway, tapping both ears and shaking your head in a no fashion. Sometimes when people try to connect to a conference, they don't realize that their computer might have assigned the use of a device like a microphone or camera to another application. For example, imagine if just before your video meeting in Zoom, you were talking to someone else on Skype. Even if that Skype call is now completed, your computer might not yet have released those devices back to general usage. Then there's video muting. Video takes up a lot of bandwidth. If your at-home internet connection is not strong or is overloaded, the demands from the video part of your conversation meeting might cause breakups or freezes. So it's a really good idea to try and keep your video on at least for the first few minutes of a conversation. Human emotional connection has always been a vital part of constructive relationships, and the same applies to video meetings. If you can just keep the video on long enough for people to be able to see you and say hi, then if you need to, you can mute it and get down to business, freeing up the bandwidth for what's really needed. Number five, set your connection time to 10 minutes ahead. Video meetings are not difficult, but just like teleconferences or in-person meetings, the goal should be to have the meeting start at its official start time. So if a meeting is scheduled for 2 o'clock, then by 2 o'clock everyone should be online and smiling. That's not the time to start rooting around looking for logon codes, trying to activate the conference browser, or worrying how you look. So if you have a meeting scheduled for 2 o'clock, schedule the 10 minutes before to do everything you need to do to be online and smiling by 2. It doesn't always require 10 minutes, of course, but sometimes, especially later in the day, after your computer has been busy running all sorts of other apps, even a full reboot of your computer might be in order just to refresh its memory and clear its cache. Number six, set up back channels with your key people. 
If you are going into a multi-person video meeting, you might need to pass a note to someone in the meeting, something you don't necessarily want everyone else to see. It might be something innocuous like, don't forget to remind Pat about the project deadline. Some team video apps have a chat feature. If yours does, then take the time to become familiar with it, to the point that you know how to send a private message to one person and not to everyone in the meeting. Another way to do this is an external back channel, something I use quite a lot. This could be SMS texting or WhatsApp through your phone, or even Skype chat on your computer, assuming you're not using Skype for the actual meeting. Back channel messages are the online equivalent of passing a note to a colleague across the table in a boardroom meeting without, once again, disrupting the flow of the conversation. Number seven, recording. How will you remember what is said during a video meeting? Do you plan to take notes? If so, how? You can type up some notes on the same computer you were using for the video meeting, but that will require A, access to Microsoft Word or Notepad that you will need to flip back and forth to, and B, if you type like I do, this is going to require a lot more looking down at the keyboard and not at the camera. C, if your laptop is actually up on a couple of phone books, then the actual act of typing on your keyboard will be even more difficult. You can do these things. A lot of people do. Taking notes is always better than not taking notes. But be aware also of keyboard typing sounds. These get picked up by your microphone and can become an online source of annoyance if you have forgotten to mute yourself. Online meetings are actually a great time to go back to good old pen and paper. You may want to consider handwriting your notes and then photograph the page once the meeting is done. You don't need to transcribe. With most meeting apps, you can also record both the audio and the video of the meeting. If you choose to do that, make sure to verbally ask permission and make sure you hear each person giving their permission before pressing the red button. This is law in many areas of the world now. Number eight, backup. What if the Wi-Fi goes down? Murphy's Law says that if your Wi-Fi is going to go down or your router decides to reboot itself, it will do so exactly at the time of your meeting. This has happened to me more than once. In most home Wi-Fi situations, the outage might be just a few minutes. But who knows, with way more people working from home right now, these outages might become more frequent. So once again, a backup is important. If your meeting app has an option to dial in by phone, then make sure you have that phone number and login code recorded physically outside of your computer. That's something else you can do during your 10-minute prep. If you can't connect at all, then an email or text message to another meeting participant will at least allow the team to be notified by that person, at which time you can decide whether to keep trying, bail on the meeting, or have everyone reschedule the whole thing. Things like this happen in exactly the same way that people find themselves running late or unavailable for in-person meetings. Being able to communicate to the team in advance in some fashion at least removes the stress from the situation. Number nine, distractions and leaving your seat. Working from home is likely to create distractions. Your dog might start barking or might want to go out. A delivery person might be ringing your doorbell. Of course they arrive during the meeting. That's Murphy's Law again. You might have school-aged children needing your attention, and of course the younger they are, the less they will comprehend why you are not able to attend to them during this meeting. If kids and dogs are in your sightline, then of course you'll be looking at them a lot during that meeting. That's fine and normal. It's also a good thing to mention, though, at the start of the meeting when you introduce yourself. Just state the truth. I'm working from home, I've got kids or pets, and once or twice I might need to get up to attend to them. So, three great things you can do to keep the meeting going smoothly even during these types of distractions. Number one is what I've just said. Let everyone know your situation. This will allow them at least to know they can continue with the meeting even if you have to get up from your chair. Number two, use a Bluetooth headset. 
or get the longest extension cord you can for your earbuds, something that allows you to actually stay in audio contact with the meeting while you attend to these other priorities. And number three, once again, remember to mute. This allows you to speak to your kids, the dog or the person at the door, in a normal fashion without the rest of the team hearing it. And number 10, learn how to exit your video meeting gracefully. Often, when a meeting concludes, everyone says goodbye in a professional manner, and then there follows a few seconds of on-camera confusion as those same people try to figure out how to hang up properly. It might seem superficial on my part to say this, but to see people look confused and even slightly embarrassed as they fumble around while still on camera breaks some of the professional image that I would like to keep intact for myself in every one of the interactions I have with people. So to avoid looking less than my best at these closure moments, I have an easy three-step approach. Number one, tape. Number two, mute. And number three, close. Number one, tape. I put my piece of black electrical tape over my laptop camera, even before hanging up from the meeting itself. It's extremely physically easy to do, of course, and guarantees I am no longer visible to the rest of the meeting participants. Once that's done, it doesn't matter if I have to hunt around the screen to find the hang-up button, nobody can see that. And by the way, as a side point, yes indeed, keep that piece of black tape available and over your camera lens anytime you are not using your camera. That's a story for a different podcast, but definitely a best practice. Even Mark Zuckerberg does it. Step two, mute. Before hanging up from this meeting, I also want to make sure that I can no longer be heard. In essence, I want to completely sever myself from this meeting, both with the tape and the mute button, to avoid hot mic situations. And step three, with the video and audio severed in this way, I can now take my time to hang up the meeting and close the software down correctly. Yes, of course, I could just close my laptop and do all three of these things simultaneously, but computers really don't like being put to sleep or closed down when there are apps running. This will result in a cranky computer with its memory and cache jammed with things you no longer need next time you open it up, which will continue to slow up your day. So the graceful exit is not just for your meeting colleagues, it's also good practice for keeping your computer healthy and happy. So, this is our top 10 list of perhaps some lesser-known best practices for the online meetings component of your work-from-home situation. We certainly do hope you find them useful. Hosting of the Cloud Tweaks podcast series is made possible by ISC Squared. Advance your cybersecurity career. Get certified and set yourself up for success. ISC Squared helps you with education and exam preparation for CISSP, SSCP, CCSP, and a number of other vital security certifications. With a range of teaching and prep kit opportunities and a vibrant online community, ISC Squared gives you the tools to move ahead in the ever-changing world of cybersecurity. You can visit them at isc2, that's the number two, dot org. And as for us, you can check us out at cloudtweaks.com and follow us on Twitter at cloudtweaks. If your company is looking for some great exposure to thousands of decision makers in the IT, cloud, and related industries worldwide, please get in touch. We can craft a campaign that will get you noticed through our website, social media, newsletter channels, and of course our podcast, all of which enjoys substantial audience reach. The theme music for the cloudtweaks.com podcast was obtained through podcastthemes.com. And of course, if you like this podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. We're always interested in learning what we can do to bring more quality news to you. Until next time, I'm Steve Prentice. Thanks for listening.